Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and we are in the continuing series of the Gospel according to Moses in the book of Exodus. And this is a Torah study, all the way from Exodus chapter 1, containing the whole book on Exodus. So we're at Exodus chapter 21, and I'm amazed that indeed the Torah more than likely written 3,400 years ago, inspired by God himself, inspired to Moses, and the first audience of the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, it, it, it was written to them then. And as we understand that, it really begins to make sense. What did they hear? What did they understand? And clearly our understanding is going to be enriched and expanded. As we reconnect to what God originally meant to the first audience. For the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, God was writing to them. And it's applicable for us today. That's what's amazing. Here we are, Christians in the 21st century. It was Jesus' Bible. It was the only Bible of the early church. It was the gospel according to Moses that they were reading. And they changed the world with it. And this podcast, this Bible lesson, as we take a look at Exodus 21, the first two verses, is so applicable to us today. So looking at the New American Standard Version, Exodus 21, verses 1 through 2. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. This verse and other verses, you're going to hear some people say, See? The Bible never condemned slavery. Matter of fact, the Bible supports slavery. But does it? Remember, this was written to them then, 3,400 years ago. Not in English, but in Hebrew. And we need to reconnect to those days. We need to reconnect, obviously, to the Hebrew to get a more in-depth idea of the words here in Exodus 21, verses 1 through 2. Now, there's a couple of comments I want to make. I've never seen this before, so I thank Dennis Prager for showing this to me. And this was in his audio series uh, on the Torah that he did for 25 years. I think it's about 25 years he taught Torah, all the way from Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy. And he said, what's very interesting is we're done with the Ten Commandments, and all of a sudden, here we come into Exodus chapter 21, and it's a mirror. that All of a sudden, it's a mirror of what happened in the Ten Commandments. So when we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. For the Hebrews, slavery. This was their experience, and they knew slavery. They knew the negative concept of slavery. 
forced labor, non-voluntary, of the service of the pharaoh, would basically they had no rights. That's the type of slavery that they knew. So the Ten Commandments then and now address this concept of slavery right head on. The other thing that we want to, uh, I want to comment on is the concept of a Hebrew slave. That's what it says in Exodus 21, verse 2. You can say, what about the non-Hebrew slave? We're going to address that. This is a very important place in God's Torah, in God's Word, that we need to focus in on here in the 21st century. Now, we're going to address the non-Hebrew slave in the next podcast, in part two of this lesson. But what we're going to do is we're going to stay right now with the Hebrew slave. Now, the Hebrew word here and throughout the Torah that is translated from the Hebrew to the English as slave is the word eved. Eved is that Hebrew word that comes from its base root word, and its base root word is avad. So eved, Strong's number H5650, but it's not the base root. It comes from the, the, the verb avad, which is H5647, and avad means one who works. Well, it doesn't mean slave, but anybody who works. Eved, H5650, is saying, okay, one who works. Who works? Slaves only? No. Slaves, servants, butlers, a maid, a bondsman, an officer of the king, and even worshipers of God. So this is the second comment that I wanted to make in terms of that word. And again, I'm going to thank Dennis Prager for helping me see how Exodus 21 verses 1 through 2 mirrors the Ten Commandments. And we're going to see that throughout Exodus chapter 21. But also, we need to take a look at the Hebrew word. And remember, the Hebrew, Hebrew or Hebrew words do not have definitions. They have conceptual meanings. And the best idea to convey that conceptual meaning is normally in a picture. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is doulos, and its Strong's number is G1401. Now, if you had the Septuagint, and the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, doulos is the word ex used exclusively in Greek in the Septuagint to translate eved. Thus, doulos, okay, is not just a slave. It's a slave. It's a servant. It's your butler. It's your cook. It's your bondsman. It's a man devoted to the service of God. Could be a maidservant. In general, we could say that doulos and eved basically is talking about somebody under one's authority working voluntarily or involuntarily. 
and sometimes for pay and sometimes for no pay. But note, Eved and Dulos, which is the Greek word that's used in the New Testament for slave, but also exclusively in the Septuagint for translating Eved, does not necessarily mean a slave in the negative sense of the word. Like American slavery that led to the Civil War. It's just a couple of comments that I wanted to make. Now, the Torah was probably given in 1446 B.C., or at least around that era. And it was then, now this is amazing, that God contemned, condemned slavery as we've seen in America prior to the Civil War. There is no doubt about it. Let's take a look at this closely. Now, first thing is, history shows that slavery that we experienced in the United States back, obviously, in the forming of the country and all the way through the Civil War depended upon kidnapping. And it's so easy to check out at, there are so many reputable historical sites. And what I've done is I have linked you to many of those historical sites in this podcast. What you need to do is, perhaps if you're at YouTube and you're listening to this podcast, underneath the picture for this podcast, you should see words uh, something like show more or an arrow that means to expand. So underneath the picture, there is a way of opening up more text, and that's included in this podcast. And I've provided you with a number of links that you can actually use to continue study the idea of American slavery and how it's related to the Bible. One of them is the link to the Library of Congress. And in the Library uh, of Congress, they have an interesting story of Olada Equiano. And I think I'm pronouncing that, la uh, that name correctly. And he is from the area of New Guinea in Africa. And actually, this is his actual writing. And Olada said, one day, when all our people were gone out to their works as usual, and only I and my dear sister were left to mind the house, two men and a woman got over our walls, and in a moment seized us both. And without giving us time to cry out or make resistance, they stopped up our mouths and ran off with us into the nearest wood. Here they tied our hands and continued to carry us as far as they could, till night came on. When we reached a small house where the robbers halted for refreshment and spent the night, we were then unbound but were unable to take any food, and being quite overpowered by fatigue and grief, our only relief was some sleep. They were seized against their will, someplace what we would call modern New Guinea in West Africa. 
So history, and this is just only one example, history shows unequivocally over and over and over again that the slaves that we had here in the United States, they were not, they were kidnapped. And it's not only an American experience of slavery, but the European. The European whites as well, in England, for instance. But on top of that, there were Africans who were actually kidnapping fellow Afri Africans. They were involved in this as well, and Muslims. In Dennis Prager's Torah commentary that's called Exodus, the Rational Bible, he mentioned this about Muslim slave traders. Muslims who were involved in the equally large Muslim slave trade were not violating Quranic or later Islamic law. The Muslims trade in slaves of individuals kidnapped in Africa, India, Central Asia, and Central and Eastern Europe also involved millions of souls. But unlike the Christian world, Islam never preached the abolition of slavery as a doctrine. The reason the Christian world ultimately abolished it, quite simply, is because of the Torah and the rest of the Bible. So again, I've linked you to another website, and again, you can find that under the picture someplace for this podcast, available at uh, lightofmenorah.org, www.lightofmenorah.org. If you're looking under the picture there at the website, or it's at the YouTube uh, channel, uh, someplace it'll be underneath where you can open up the text underneath and uh, basically all the places where you access your podcast. But I've linked you to an article called Slavery in Islam. And you can take a look at what Dennis Prager happens to be getting at with regards to Muslim slave trade. So, indeed, the Bible condemns it. And Islam in the Quran does not. So, what I found interesting as well is this. As I record this, Israel is at war with Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization that invaded Israel and their surprise attack resulted in sudden and vicious and cruel and evil actions. These terrorists murdered and slaughtered and kidnapped innocents. Children, old people, babies, young men and young women. They were slaughtering and attacking, not soldiers, but innocent people. We have to remember this in Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that, are sh that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. One of the things I have, you have to read that very carefully, and you have to put the, the, those words 
directly into the context of what's happening with Israel and its war with Hamas. Haughty eyes, Hamas. Lying tongue about the hospital that was supposedly attacked by Israel and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Palestinians were killed. Total lie. It was the Islamic Jihad, one of their own rockets misfired and hit the parking lot of the hospital. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, decapitating babies, in the heart of those supposedly resistance fighters, devising wicked, evil plans, feeding the feet that are running rapidly to evil, spreading lies. So the Muslim jihadists have never stopped. Never stopped coming against Israel, which they called the little Satan. And us, the United States, the big Satan. Coming against us at the decadent West. So it's just another proof to me that Allah, the God of Islam is not God. Not the God of the Bible. They are not the same. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, love the stranger as yourself. No qualification. Love the stranger as yourself. No qualification. We'll come back to that later. Could be a pagan Assyrian who worships their Assyrian pagan gods. You need to love the Assyrian as if it was you. Loving the Assyrian, loving the stranger, loving even the pagan as yourself. It's quite amazing. Now, history shows that American slave trade depended upon kidnapping. And what does God say in his Torah... This is 1446 B.C. about kidnapping. This is in Exodus 21, verse 16. It's the same chapter. And we'll be coming over that verse again in some recent future sessions. But in verse 16 it says, He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession shall surely be put to death. Kidnap. The Hebrew word there is ganav. Strong's number is 1589. And it's one who steals another human being. Steals. Because the word ganav is also used in the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not ganav. Thou shalt not steal. So here again we see how a Hebrew word applies and gives us a different conceptual meaning in context. Stealing a man is kidnapping. Stealing a woman is kidnapping. It's just like the true story we read about the African young man in New Guinea. Also in this verse it says a man. The Hebrew word there is ish. Strong's number is H376, and that means any man. A Hebrew or not implies a woman as well. 
So we're dealing with the fact that you steal any man, you steal any woman, no matter what age, no matter what their religion, you steal them for evil purposes like slavery. Then the person who is the robber, the person who's the kidnapper, must be executed if caught. Many of you who have been following this Torah study right from the beginning, whether here in Exodus or in Genesis, I've mentioned Dr. John Kareed, a Christian theologian, a Christian Egyptologist, archaeologist, a, a man whose reputation is just impeccable, a man that we can trust. He wrote a Torah commentary. Here's a Christian teaching Torah for Christians. He talks about this idea of, again, kidnapping, as he's addressing the verse, Exodus 21, 16. He says, the, the crime of kidnapping is deserving of capital punishment. He said, the Code of Hammurabi prescribes the same punishment for kidnapping, but only if it is an aristocrat who has been seized. His law number 14 reads, If an aristocrat has stolen the young man of an aristocrat, he shall be put to death. But scripture has a broader application. It applies not only to the aristocrat, aristocrat but to any person, Hebrew or not, one whose God is Yahweh or not. The Bible does not discriminate regarding the heinous crime of, of, of this crime. The death penalty for kidnapping reflects the biblical teaching of the value, or it really reflects the biblical teaching of the value, worth, and dignity of man in God's image. It is appropriate punishment because kidnapping is an assault on the concept of the person created in the image of God. Kidnapping displays deep-rooted contempt for God and his image bearers. And one of the main purposes for kidnapping is stated, that is, for the slave trade. An excellent example of such activity can be seen in the story of Joseph. So again, we're dealing with the word ganav, again, which is the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. This, all of this, was something actually brand new for me. I never learned it in church. I never learned it in Catholic grade school or the Catholic high school I attended. I never heard this in Sunday school. I never heard it from Christian Bible teachers. I first heard it from the professors that I had in my graduate studies for my master's in biblical history. I heard it from Jewish rabbinical teachers also, a devoted Jew like Dennis Prager, not only his in his audio series on the Torah, but also you can find this in his book, Exodus, the Rational Bible. And it just caused me to wonder, American Christians back in the 1700s, the 1800s, what's wrong with them? They knew about kidnapping. They knew the word of God. I find it interesting that when you actually 
study those days that there were many scholars then, scholars, who said blacks were less than human. They were less than human, so God's law did not apply to them. It's like the Nazis. The Nazis completely degraded the Jewish people to almost to the fact that they were non-human. And Americans did the same thing with the blacks from Africa. They were not fully human. And yet, U.S. Christians ignored it. Even in the movie Amazing Grace, talking about William Wilberforce and his efforts to end the slave trade in England, if I recall, there was no reference to the Bible as we've just seen it. That God comes against slavery because slavery in England at that time and the United States was kidnapping. I never heard that. But on top of that, what about today? Human trafficking, especially in children. And again, I provide you with the link to save the children. And what we read is that many children are kidnapped and they're forced into the sex slavery trade. This is kidnapping. It's a capital offense deserving of the death penalty. Trafficking, trafficking in human, human beings, especially children. I remember Jesus' words as we go to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark chapter 9 Verse 42, what does Jesus say? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck he had been cast into the sea. Or Mark chapter 10, verse 14, but when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The unspeakable evil of child trafficking. Oh my God. So let's return to the ancient culture. And again, we go back to read Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 2. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. Once again, the Hebrew word is Eved. We talked about that. And what's amazing, again, is the conceptual meaning. Eved. I wanted to show you some things about who are the Evedim, in plural. Okay, Eved, slave. Evedim, slaves. I want to show you how God looks upon certain people in the Bible as his Evedim. So let's take a look at Exodus 32, verse 13. 
Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Did you hear it? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, you guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are Evedim, slaves of God? Are you kidding? But that's the Hebrew word that's used there. These are God's men. Or what about Moses? We go to Exodus 14, and we go to verse 31. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Hebrew word, Eved. Moses is not a slave of God. What a picture for all of us. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, are Evedim of Adonai. They weren't slaves. They freely chose to give up their independence. Slaves are forced against their will. And these men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Moses, they were going to serve the Most High God freely and to obey Him in everything. And we're not talking about slavery in the United States. This is completely something else. Another thing is, why do God's Torah, why follow the ordinances and commands of God? God tells us straight up. It's in Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 15, and again, it's part of the Shema. I'm not going to go into the Shema, all those verses and so on, but these, these verses here, 13 through 15, are part of the Shema. And again, it says this, And it shall come about that if you listen obediently to my commandments, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Serve, okay, the Hebrew word there is avad. It's the base word for eved, remember? Avad is someone who works, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, whether for pay or not for pay. And the translators have used it there to love and to serve God. We are going to serve him. We are going to avad him. We become eved. Isn't this interesting? By God's laws, we show our love of God as his servants. Jesus said the same thing in John 14, 15. All they had was the Old Testament. All they had was the Hebrew Scriptures. And in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Which ones? They're in the Torah. And he's basically reviewing Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 15. We do this to love God. Just like Moses, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, and just like Jacob. Perhaps this is what Paul is referring to when he talks about being a slave of Jesus. You can take a look at that in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 1, or Colossians 4, verse 12. Paul's not a slave. It's the Hebrew, the Greek word there is doulos. And he knows from the Septuagint that doulos 
translates Evet. Paul knows what Evet is. It's a servant. He is a servant of Jesus. And because he loves Jesus, he keeps Jesus' commandments, and therefore, according to Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 15, he serves Jesus. He becomes Jesus' Evet, not a slave. And it's us too. Paul says to be be like me, for I'm like him. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that makes, that, in other words, to be a disciple. I've heard so many people say a disciple is one who has, who has given his life to Jesus. No. A disciple is one who uh, follows Jesus. No. A disciple is one who follows their rabbi and wants to be what their rabbi is. In other words, a disciple is a reflection of Jesus. And that's what we need to be today. Disciples of rabbis in Paul's day and in Jesus' day were servants of the rabbi. They helped him. So again, I've linked you to a great article, Disciples of the Rabbi, and again, it's in the links below, which will enhance, again, your understanding, or all of our understanding. It's a fantastic article about what it means to be in service to a rabbi. Jesus is more definitely than a rabbi. He's the Lord. He's God himself. So we have the Hebrew word eved, and again, Strong's number is 5650. And the Greek word doulos, whose Strong's number is G1401. I've heard a great teacher, John MacArthur, and I do have a lot of respect for him. He's an awesome evangelical teacher. And he's got not only some articles, but some uh, videos that you can find on YouTube that he says, we are slaves of Christ. Not servants, but slaves. And he goes into a lengthy lecture and teaching on the Greek word doulos of the Greek in the New Testament. And he says it means slave, and only slave. Okay, now first of all, let's take a look at the meaning of slave. I went through the Encyclopedia Britannica, and again, I've given you this link. There is so much here about what a slave is. And I'm not going to go through it because it is a long article, but it goes into it in such great detail. A slave, now this is in this, a slave in the negative sense of the word. Like slavery we had in the United States or in England. Uh, they belonged to somebody else. They were considered movable property. Uh, they were not... They were objects of the law, not subjects to the law. In other words, the law did not pertain to them. Normally, the slave was not responsible for what they did. They had few rights. The slave was removed from, uh, from lines of natal descent. In other words, families were completely destroyed, ripped apart, the father would go one place and the mother would go another place and the children would go another place. Family ties became meaningless. They had no kin. They had no relatives. The product of a slave's labor could be claimed by someone else who also frequently had the right to control the physical reproduction. Slavery was a form of dependent labor performed by a non-family member. 
The slave was deprived of personal liberty and the right to move about geographically as he desired. There were limits to his capacity or her capacity to make choices with regards to his occupation. And slavery was usually, but not always, involuntary. And like I said, you can check that link out at Encyclopedia Britannica and read the entire article. So when I looked at this, there were two major characteristics that I saw, and I'm responding to John MacArthur's lectures with the fact that we're slaves of Christ in the negative sense. Now, first of all, slaves, they have no rights or limited rights. But this is interesting. We have no rights. Galatians 5, verse 13, we're called to freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, we have freedom as the Spirit dwells in us. John 8, verse 32, the truth will set you free. And where is the truth? Jesus. He sets us free. The written word, the written Torah of God in Psalm 119, verse 42, it says, it says the law is truth. Now it doesn't say law in Hebrew, it's the Torah. The commands and the commandments and all the stories and everything in the first five books of the Bible it's not law, it's God's instruction. This is truth. Jesus is the living word. John 14, 6. John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. We're not slaves. We're free. We're free as his, as his Ebedim, like Moses, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, Israel, like Paul. So number one, they had no rights. But number two, slaves, okay, they are slaves, not on an act of one's will. It's involuntary. It's against one's will. Problem. John 3.16. God says, if we choose, if we choose Jesus to believe in him, that's an act of our will. It's voluntary. In Romans 8, verse 9, if the Spirit dwells in you, if the Spirit dwells in you, in other words, we have a choice. Do we want the Spirit to dwell in us or not? It's an act of our free will. Jesus says, when he's de actually describing what the gospel is, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's teaching the gospel. Repent. What is repent? It's turning back. Choose to turn back voluntarily. So again, if we're a slave in Christ, or a slave of Christ, it's an act of our will. We freely choose Yeshua. So all this contradicts John MacArthur's view. And like I said, I appreciate John MacArthur. I really do. I'm just disagreeing with his view. We're not slaves of Christ. Now, when I listen to John MacArthur, it seems like he's only using the Greek word doulos in the New Testament only, and he doesn't make any connection to the Septuagint. He doesn't make any connection to the culture of ancient Israel. 
So the English word that is used in our Bible, slaves, really seems to be a barrier to us to actually get at the meaning that the Lord really intended. Now, in this series and in other podcasts, I've talked about the fact that Jesus spoke Hebrew as his everyday language. I'm not going to go into uh, that argument to prove it. And you might bump into that in other lessons. And you'll see all the references for that. In Jesus' day, all they had was the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. The word is eved for servant, slave, bondsman. We need to put this all into its historical context in the first century. It's not slaves, but it can mean slave. We're eved. And we're the Lord's servants freely by an act of our free will. He freed us from slavery. The slavery to sin. Now there, slavery to sin, you better believe we're not servants of sin. There is a slavery there. The implication is when we're born, there's an involuntary part of us that has a tendency to evil. God said it. Genesis 6, 5. The heart of man is to evil continually. There's something that we're trapped. We're slaves of sin. But Yeshua, he paid our debt. We're all debtors. And he cleansed us from our sin. And we do his will out of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But we're not slaves at all. We're his chaverim. In other words, we're his close companions. This is in John 15, verse 15. We're still his servants, not slaves. But he calls us and again, going from the Greek word back into the Hebrew, because that's all they had then. The word is chaver. Strong's number is H2269. The Greek word there is philos. That's G5384. And philos, in the Septuagint, translates chaver. And chaver is to bind together people who are bound, bound, bound together so chavarim is H2269 but it comes from its base root chavar H2266 and it means to bind together and this is not casual friendship you guys we are not casual friends with Jesus it's not that Jesus is our chess friend Oh, it's somebody I play with chess with and we enjoy ourselves. And we get together once in a while. This is not light. This is bound together. This is being united with him. So at the mountain of God, Israel entered a covenant 
with the Lord God and Lord their Lord. The Lord was their bridegroom and Israel was their bride. At the Mount of God at Jerusalem, there's a covenant we end with Yeshua. There's a covenant that we enter in with Yeshua. And we become the bride of Christ and he becomes our bridegroom. So we are servants, free servants, to serve our future husband. Yes, we're Havarim as well. We are bound together in such a tight binding together, clinging to each other. Not, not slaves in the negative sense, but we're servants of our husband, submitting to Yeshua as a bride submits to her husband. He and us bound together. He our bridegroom and we his bride. So does the Bible condone slavery? Are you kidding? Not, a, not slavery that we saw in the United States or in England. But we still have this concept of a Hebrew slave. We've got to get into that. We've got to get into the idea of what about non-Hebrew slaves? We will be doing that in the next important lesson on these two verses. Exodus 21, verses 1 through 2. And we'll remember in Luke 24, 50 that Jesus lifted up his hands to bless his 120 disciples before he ascended the Father, just like the high priest daily lifts up his hands. It could very well be that Jesus blessed them with the ironic blessing. I've taken the ironic blessing and I've turned it into a prayer. I'd like to end our session with that blessing, that blessing that's based upon the high priestly blessing that God gave to Moses, to Aaron, to bless the people. Yevarekeinu Adonai Vishmarkeinu, Yair Adonai Panava Aleinu, Vekunekeinu, Isa Adonai Panava Aleinu, Viasem Lanu Shalom, Vishem Yeshua Adonainu, Amen. So together, let's say this in English. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and may he give us his shalom in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.